pray together again. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these students and uh, the time we've had together so far. We're so grateful for the sweetness of being together and of knowing Christ. So thank you, Lord, as we look to your word, we ask for your help. And even as we set our minds in your truth by singing together, uh, we're reminded of uh, how we do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So uh, thank you for that help, Lord, we ask this morning that you keep us awake, give us attention to your word, and that our hearts will be open to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I hope you guys got just uh, at least a little bit of sleep. I know on the guys' side, at least, there were scary old man puppets and civil wars attacking fellow rooms and an incredible smell. A good one. Kind of. Um, kidding, but I hope you guys got a little bit of sleep and breakfast woke you up and uh, the singing kind of got your body involved. Um, we're going to look to God's word this morning. I want to begin by asking you a question. Play a little word, word association this morning. What do uh, carpet, drum sets, Sunday school curriculum, and slices of ham all have in common? It's like a Nick question, a Nick riddle. <laughs> carpet, drum sets, Sunday school curriculum, and slices of ham. All of these things have been sources of disunity within the church. These things, along with a thousand other trivial and not so trivial things, have caused a loss of love amongst God's people, hurt, conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ, and even church splits. Whether it's the use of the church gym or the youth room for basketball or bingo or it's the lights or the color of the lights or the brightness of the lights or it's the coffee. These things divide. They cause a loss of love between God's people. Now, as the story goes, and whether it's true is up to you and the internet, uh, a church split of a church deep in the Bible Belt began when an elder in the church was offended when the child in front of him in line at the Thanksgiving banquet got a bigger slice of ham than he did. Now, I don't know how the story goes in terms of how that led to the church split, but as the father of four, I just hope it wasn't his kid. <laughs> Disunity, a loss of love. It's something that, in our failure to love others like we should, in our ignorance of the great love of God come down to us, in our self-centeredness, we are all prone to contributing to disunity. Because, let's be honest, life is all about us if we're not careful. It was my birthday recently, and you know, when it's your birthday, uh, the day can be about you, that's okay, right? You go to Starbucks and you get a drink, 
Uh, you go to the other restaurant in town and they give you a 9% discount. Why can't it be 10? Uh, you go and get free stuff. And then you get an email that says happy birthday. And the closest store to that discount is 30 miles away. What good is that? But everything on your birthday is about you. Even when it's not your birthday, though, in your heart, if you're honest, it's often just all about you. It's all about me, what's best for me, what's my opinion, my preference, my viewpoint on something. You may not even like ham, but your little slice of piglet on Thanksgiving better be bigger than the person next to you, right? Now, what is the Bible's answer to all of that? It's what we've been talking about. It's love. It's God's love for us that shows us the way that our lives are not about us, but about his glory and about our love for one another and how that brings him glory. It's a love that, as our passage this morning will say, it's a love that counts others more significant than yourselves. It's a love that counts others more significant than yourselves. Now, last night we began to look at love by looking at God's love for us, a love that is a source for our love for one another. It's a love that gives us new life and empowers us to love, and it's a love that assures us that we have genuine saving faith. And so we, in a sense, redefined love. We refreshed our understanding of what the Bible says about the kind of love we are to have for one another. Now, this morning and in the afternoon session, we will begin to sort of fill out, color in this picture of this down and out love that we've been talking about. Uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians, the book of Philippians, uh, we'll be in chapter 2, uh, Philippians 2, and um, we'll look at the first four verses there. And in those four verses, we'll see the effect that love has, sort of the end result. What is the intended goal of having the kind of love we are to have? Well, what's the end result of this down and out love? We'll see in this passage, these four verses that the goal is unity. The goal is, as believers, being one, uh, having a mutual love for each other. That even in our differences, and in our uh, different ages and life stages, in our different preferences and opinions, that we would, because we have the love of God, that we would be one, that we would be united in love. So look at Philippians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1, follows that reading. Uh, Paul writes this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Now, the book of Philippians is all about finding joy. I wasn't here, but if you remember last week, uh, last year's retreat, it was in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Pastor Jay Lennington took you through how to find joy in Christ and finding joy in Christ, how to find joy in all of life, no matter the circumstance, because of your joy in Christ. So the book of Philippians is all about this kind of joy. Well, in the beginning of the book of Philippians, in the end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2, this book is about finding joy in the gospel, specifically the good news about Christ. Uh, look with me at chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul urges these Philippian believers to stand together, stand united, out of the joy that they have in Christ together, and to be a gospel witness. He says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he says, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, he wasn't with them, but he said, whether I come visit you or I don't get a chance to come visit you, he says, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that begins a section in this book that talks about being a worthy display of the gospel. The way that you live the way that you show your joy is the way that you show the world what you believe. It's a word, a life that is a worthy display of the gospel. Uh, when I was nine years old, uh, from the time about eight years old to probably about 12, uh, my parents were uh, the staff leaders in a youth group at church, but I was too young to be part of the group. Uh, so youth group was actually at my house, and uh, while youth group was happening and then small group discussions happened, at the end of small group discussions, it's time to heat up the snacks. And so I would be in the best room in the house when the snacks are being heated up, and that's in the kitchen. Uh, doors closed in the kitchen next to the pizza rolls in the oven, just taking the smells in, anticipating my my little tax on them before the snacks went upstairs to the youth group. But while I was waiting for the snacks to take too long to heat up, uh, I would watch TV. And my favorite TV as an eight-year-old, uh, nine-year-old, when this happened, this story, uh, was watching the Chicago Bulls win the NBA Finals. I was nine years old, and I was watching the Chicago Bulls play the Utah Jazz on a little five-inch black-and-white television. Uh, I'm old, but I'm not that old. My dad had won this little combo uh, black-and-white television, five-inch screen, that was a combo television and AM, FM radio technology. Now you can do all that on your phone. But it was this little combo television, black-and-white, where I saw Michael Jordan sink his, his famous shot, kind of considered the shot heard around the world uh, at the free throw line against the Utah Jazz to win the championship. Now, that little five-inch black and white television was not a worthy display of the greatness of the GOAT, Michael Jordan, 
and in one of his finest moments, winning the championship against the Utah Jazz. That little five-inch black-and-white television was not a worthy display of the greatness of the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. Paul in Philippians is telling these believers, your life, your joy in Christ ought to be a worthy display of the value that you find in knowing Jesus. Uh, the way that you stand together, chapter 1, verse 27, uh, in a way that shows your unity for the sake of the gospel, that ought to be a worthy display of who Jesus is and how valuable he is to you. Now, in our passage, in the beginning of chapter 2, what it means to be a worthy display, uh, what it means to be what should have been for me, maybe the screen in Times Square where I should have seen Michael Jordan take that shot. Our lives should shout the glory of Christ by the way that we live in unity. That's what it means in chapter 2 to be a worthy display. And we'll look at that this morning under three headings. This kind of unity that is a worthy display of the gospel of Jesus. But first, let's look at, in verse 1, the fuel for unity. The fuel for unity. What I mean by that is that Paul gives us first the sort of basis for our pursuit of this kind of unity that we should have as Christians that we can pursue through our love for one another. And so we'll call it fuel for unity. It's motivations or reasons that we should be compelled by to pursue the kind of unity that is a worthy display of the gospel. Look again at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. It's verse 1. It's not even a complete sentence yet. But that is the fuel for our unity. You see, this kind of unity we're to have, that we're going to pursue through the love we have for one another, isn't just unity for unity's sake. It's unity that's not just based on some kind of arbitrary connection that we have with one another. It's not just unity based on our comfort level with one another, or our likes or dislikes in, in things, or... It's not in, found in even your Illinoisness together. It, this is unity instead fueled by God-given realities. It, it's unity fueled by love come from God that we all have experienced. If you've ever built a campfire, which is not hard to sort of imagine in your mind in a day like this, if you've built a campfire, you know you need a certain kind of wood. Now, most of you probably know the kind of wood in terms of oak or cedar or whatever. What would burn slower, fast, better than I do, city kid here. Uh, I just flip the switch on and my, my heating lamp turns on. But you, you guys know how to build a campfire. I'm not talking about the kind of wood, like what kind of tree it's from. I'm talking about the kind of wood, like what kind of qualities these pieces of wood have. We all know evenly sized pieces 
We know dry pieces of wood are helpful, and you can help me with the wood from the right kind of tree. Here in verse 1, as to our love for one another and the unity that we're to have, Paul is giving us neatly chopped, <coughs> perfectly dried that would help, oak, maybe, to help us with our love for one another. It's fuel, and he's neatly stacking these, what are here, four pieces in the fire pit. And this is God-wrought fuel for gospel-worthy unity. And so, if you look at the grammar here, I'm a little bit of a grammar nerd, as Pastor Scott is as well. Uh, you look at the grammar here, it says, at least in most of your translations, probably, it says, so if. Uh, if there is. Now, Sometimes in the Bible, when you see the word if, you can understand it almost as since or because. So it's not just if these things are true, it's because these things are true. Since these things are true, in verse 1, then follow this command. And we'll get to the command later. Um, these are gifts of grace that God has powerfully Provided in our salvation. Uh, these are objective certainties, things that don't depend on us to be true, uh, things that are above us, of God, and yet that ground us in this Christian life. And Paul shows us his realities as fuel for our obedience to God and pursuing unity. Uh, these four truths are so rich, we could spend the rest of the morning looking at them, but we'll just look at them quickly. First, Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Now, this word encouragement we often see is the word help or comfort. And usually it refers to the Holy Spirit's help or comfort for us. Uh, but here, this is the help or the comfort of uh, Christ. If there's encouragement or help or comfort, it says, in Christ. This is the truth we find in Romans 6 that talks of uh, the union, we call it, that we have in Christ. This union in Christ, in our salvation, that it is dying and it is being buried and it is being raised to life. We also are dead to sin and alive in him. And so we find security in our salvation. And here Paul is saying, therefore, we find comfort and help and hope, even as we share in his sufferings. Paul is saying here in chapter 2, verse 1 of Philippians, that since, if, for rhetorical effect, since you all have this shared reality of comfort, help, encouragement in Christ, you ought to further pursue the unity you have with one another, uh, be drawn together in the fact that you share in life, whether good or suffering, that you share in life together, and you also share in the comfort and the encouragement that you, found, you have being found in Christ. If there is an encouragement in Christ, and Paul is saying, there is. So be drawn together in that. Find unity in that. Secondly, he says, if there's any comfort or consolation from love. Now, this is plain and simple, what we looked at last night in 1 John. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And that's the love of God that we all have the opportunity to experience if we believe the gospel. If we believe the truth about Jesus Christ, we can have the love that's in 1 John 4 and the love that is here that Paul says comforts or consoles us. Paul is saying here, because you have experienced the love of God in your hearts, you also experience, not just in the gospel, the love of God, but throughout life, the comfort and the consolation of that love. You see, you experienced the love of God while you were dead in your sin, being made alive together with Christ, but you also experienced the love of God continually, and even still now in life's ups and downs. And so Paul's instruction to us will be to live out that same comfort and consolation toward one another in community, in love. Third here, Paul says, if there is any participation in the Spirit, this word participation is a word you might know, one of the few Greek words you might hear from your pastors, as they explain, it's koinonia, it's fellowship. It's the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit as believers. This is another commonality that we have that is a very real and powerful connection, that the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. We benefit from the uh, Spirit's ministry in our lives. We could go to Romans 8 and look at the comforting of the Holy Spirit, or the confirming work of the Holy Spirit, or the convicting work of the Holy Spirit when we hear God's Word, or the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So much more that the Spirit does. And so Paul is saying here, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, any uh, participation in the Spirit, uh, we benefit from the Spirit, but we should also, by the Spirit's power, be agents of that same blessing in each other's lives. We should do that for one another in love as we pursue unity. Finally and fourthly, Paul stacks on just one more log into the fire to give us some fuel for our pursuit of unity. He says if there's any affection and sympathy, any affection and sympathy, those two words help us to think just more about love. Love is affection. It's our hearts being warmed toward God and to one another. And then sympathy is we sort of have this the feeling toward one another that helps and sees and sees needs and addresses them together. <coughs> but the one who can do that perfectly for you and me in this life is our Savior Jesus. Just listen to Matthew 11 where Jesus expresses his affection and sympathy for us. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, that is affection and sympathy that we find in the gospel uh, expressed to us by our Lord. You see, the great high priest who was able to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
whose affection and tenderness we find in his love poured out on the cross. And again and again, over and over, throughout this life as we continue on in grace. And we find help in him. Rooted in these four realities, our gratitude should be stirred up. Our thankfulness, our affection should be made alive by what God has done for us through Christ and by his spirit. So let's go back to that campfire sort of illustration. Paul is piling up these logs and he's beckoning us to sit around the fire and look each other in the eye as we sit around that fire and think about the warmth and the reality of those four logs that he placed in that fire pit, now burning bright and warming our hearts, not just to appreciate the fire, but to appreciate one another and love one another and talk about our appreciation for the Lord as we sit around that campfire. These realities should stoke our love, warm our hearts for one another. Things that God has done for us in Christ. And what Paul says here is that we should express it in our obedience to God. We should express our gratitude by pursuing love for one another, by pursuing unity. What encouragement here, what comfort here, what love, what affection and sympathy we have. How could we not give our thanks and how could we not express our worship in response to these things? Rooted student ministry, any time we are called to obey the Lord, any time the Bible tells us, do this, God always gives us sufficient reason, sufficient motivation. You see, the Bible never asks us to obey without basis, without ample reason to obey. God always gives us proper provision and strength to worship Him with our lives. Anytime God requires us to obey, He always gives in greater measure the grace and strength to obey. And what this verse shows us is that there is always abundant fuel for our obedience. Always some line of gratitude that we can have. Always some provision of our union with Christ. Always some encouragement and comfort found in the Spirit of God in us. Always some great blessing flowing from the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. So friends, as we pursue love for each other and the unity we find in this passage, these four great gospel realities ought to be the fuel for that obedience. That's the fuel for unity. Now let's look at the nature of unity. The nature of unity. I want to tell you about something from where I'm from. Los Angeles. Now, this first started in New York, but it quickly made its way to Los Angeles. And it's called the Ryan Meetup. The Ryan 
meetup. It's a gathering of people, men and women, all named Ryan. Any Ryans in the room? There we go. Ryan, you understand. You understand that people think that you're Brian all the time. But you're Ryan. Starts with an R. Let me read you a little bit of what the RyanMeetup.com, uh, it's actually, sorry, not the, the RyanMeetup.com, what the Ryan Meetup website says. It says, if your name is Ryan, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Ryan Meetup, an organization run by Ryans, for Ryans, with the ultimate goal of assembling as many Ryans as possible. <laughs> One day, we aim to host RyanCon and break the world record for the largest same-name gathering in history. <laughs> See you soon, Ryan. FAQs, why are you doing this? Because we want to meet other people named Ryan. <laughs> why no Bryans? Well, Bryans are just B-list Ryans. Who founded the group? Ryan. Can I join if my middle name is Ryan? Yes, but you will be asked to provide references that prove you go by Ryan. Can I join if my last name is Ryan? Only if your first name is Ryan. Can I start a Ryan meetup in my city? We are looking for ways to franchise once we bring the Ryan meetup to select few cities. Stay tuned. What if my name isn't spelled Ryan? If your name is Ryan with two N's, Ryan with an O, or Ryan R-I-A-N, or something else that is phonetically still Ryan, then you are welcome to join the Ryan meetup. And it talks about the upcoming Ryan meetups. There's the Ryan Roundup and the Ryan Rendezvous. You can get all the details on the website. And the last FAQ I appreciate the most. Do most Ryans attend events alone? It says, most of our Ryans come solo. <laughs> Not everyone has another Ryan in their life to bring along. <laughs> Yet. The Ryan meetup. That's the weird world of Los Angeles. Where we have the Ryan Rendezvous. Now your name may or may not be Ryan. It is for you. But we all find a sense of unity. Sense of commonality in much the same way. Maybe or maybe not by your name. You met someone else. When I met a fellow Matt in school, we were instant friends, right? But you find a sense of unity in all kinds of things. You may both be on the cross-country team, or you may both want to be on the football team, or you may be in the same dance class, or like the same color, or uh, prefer the same food, or really not prefer the same food, wanna beans. Amen, right? We all search for common ground in how we look, or if we get along, if our parents are friends, or who we naturally like, or what we naturally like or don't like, in our shared taste in food or in shows, what school you're in, maybe what ministry you serve in. And those are all good and fine things to find unity in. But Paul here in Philippians 2 has a, a different grid that he's using for unity. It's a different outlook, a different perspective. You see, 
The nature of the unity he's talking about here is different. It's better. It's over and above all those other senses of unity that we might find in this life. Look at uh, verse 2. It completes the sentence of what we just looked at. He says in verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, you may find it interesting, like I did, that Paul says here, complete my joy. Now, what he simply means is that he himself already has the kind of love, the kind of sympathy and affection for these believers that it would warm his heart. It would complete his joy if they would grow in this love and unity with him. That's all he means. He says, complete my joy, make me happy, and please the Lord in this. Grow in this. And so Paul then characterizes this unity in three ways. And it helps us to see the nature of unity, the nature of what real Christian unity is, over and against the shallow, cheap imitations of the unity we sometimes seek in other things. First, he says, it's being of the same mind. This is the picture of the church as the living body of Christ with Jesus as the head of the body. And so each of the members of the body that we are is working in concert with the mind, taking direction from the mind. This is a phrase that you might hear sometimes in church. It's being like-minded. It's having the same purpose or intent. If I ask you your favorite pizza toppings, and I said, um, hey, show of hands, who, who, who likes on their pizza pineapple? Let's see it. Who likes pineapple? All right, we're like, you're a mere minority. Okay, never mind. I thought it was something for 50-50, but that was, that was like 2080. Uh, how about ham? All right, a little more. Yeah. Um, how about bacon? Yeah, there we go. Uh, and then how about, not just by itself, but in general on pizza, how about having some cheese? You've got to have your cheese, right? Now, if you think about different pizza toppings, it can sound silly, but it's real. We're all a little more unified on cheese, and for sure on bacon, than we are about, about pineapples, right? The kind of unity that we have in Christ is that for those who know the gospel, for those who know Jesus in this room, we all can say right away, I'm raising my hand, and we all have the same common bond in Christ as members of the body of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is be of the same mind, be of the same thinking about your Savior Jesus, and we all are. Uh, yet we don't act that way sometimes. And so Paul is saying, be of that same mind. Live that way. Think that way. Act that way. That you are of the same mind. Paul also describes this kind of unity as having the same love. Now, we've been talking about love so far this weekend already. But remember what we just talked about in verse 1. We saw a couple phrases that help us think about this love. The comfort from love. Paul says, if there's any comfort from love, and yes, there is, we saw. 
If there is any affection and sympathy. Yes, there is. Here in verse 2, having the same love means having experienced the love of God in Christ truly and savingly. And therefore, we ought to have our hearts warmed to love Him and to love others. That's to say, we can indeed have the same love because we've been given that love as Christians. Flip back to chapter 1 of Philippians. I want you to see something with me. Philippians 1, this is Paul beginning his letter. And it's the kind of part in uh, the Bible, the kind of part in these letters in the New Testament where we often kind of read them. We see a lot of familiar words but we don't really actually think about what they mean. Now, I just want to look at a quick um, section here and just talk a little bit about what it means and how it helps us in chapter 2. Paul is talking to these believers and he's saying, simply, I'm praying for you and I'm thankful for you. And let me tell you about how I talk to God about you. So he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So what Paul is saying in these verses is, I'm so thankful for you and I thank God for you, but specifically because you partnered with me in ministry. You either gave me money or gave me food or you encouraged me, you prayed for me. And so now as we're apart in different cities, I pray for you. I thank God for you, because you helped me. Verse 6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm sure of the faith that you have. I know that God will finish the work he started. 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment to uh, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And then look at verse 8. This is important. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you with, yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying there is, you have partnered me, with me when I was in prison, and then where times are good, and we were ministering the gospel together. And I'm so thankful for you. He says, I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you. And then catch the phrase. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here, the love we are to have for one another, the love we find in chapter 2 that leads to the kind of unity we're talking about, this love is not some love we come up with. It's the very same love that Jesus has for us. It's the same substance, the same essence of love. Let me tell you about a moment that went viral a few years ago on the internet. You may have seen this. There was a sort of tension-filled moment at a fishing tournament in Ohio. You know what video I'm talking about already, maybe? That team, apparently somewhat famous in that area, brought their catch in for a final weigh-in. It was a walleye tournament. And their fish 
at this tournament weighed a suspicious number of pounds heavier than the rest of the competition. Like, if you're an expert in fishing tournaments, kind of suspicious. Not that hard to tell, kind of suspicious. Uh, and upon further inspection, the tournament director uh, in this video cuts the fish open and over a hundred ounces of lead weights and pieces of walleye fillet come tumbling out of these five fish. A hundred ounces. I mean, you're not even trying that hard to think about how to cheat if you're going to cheat. Don't recommend it. I'm just saying. A hundred ounces is a lot in a fishing tournament. Uh, it's not hard to tell. You got greedy. The tournament director shouted out the now sort of infamous words. We got weights in fish, he says. And man, it's so sad and weird, it's almost funny. Okay, it's funny. We got weights in fish, and everyone just goes nuts. Don't watch that video with the volume loud because uh, your ears are not trash cans. But there's so much to unpack in a video like that. There's no reason why, there's no wonder why it went viral. But it's all based on the simple fact that what was supposed to be walleye fish guts was not walleye fish guts. When you cut open a walleye, you expect to see walleye stuff, <laughs> entrails. Now this is what Paul's saying here in Philippians 1 and Philippians 2 about our love for one another. The substance, the guts of Christian affection that don't smell. They smell a whole lot better. <laughs> the guts is very simply the love of Christ Jesus. The guts of a Christian who's been loved by God, if you were to see uh, that person's heart, is the love of Christ. And it's the love of Christ that comes out and is placed on others around you. You see, there is no need, friends, to manufacture a feeling or an affection simply to know the love of Christ and then to just manifest, reflect that same love is all that is required of us. And so when you are lacking in affection, you ought simply to return and reflect on the love of Jesus for you. His compassion, His generous heart, His endless love for you. And then with God's grace and help, begin to simply just live out the love of God that has come down to you. There's a third description of what this Christian unity looks like in chapter 2, verse 2. <coughs> Look back there. It's being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, some translations say, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This is simply the a oneness of soul. It's a unity of our attitude together, our affections. It's moving and feeling and thinking together in harmony. And again, all because of Christ. And then you see these descriptions here. Paul rounds it out by just saying again, this phrase, 
of one mind, this like-mindedness. It's thinking together, moving together, feeling together, acting together as one because of Christ. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that Jesus prayed for you? Jesus, when he was on this earth, he prayed for you. In John 17, we could, we could flip there if we needed to, but Jesus prayed for us. And one of the things that he prayed for you and I was this, that we would be one. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus says this as he prays to his heavenly Father. He says, I do not ask for these only. He's saying, I do not ask just for the disciples in front of me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's saying, I pray not just for the disciples in front of me, but for everyone who, because of the disciples, in the long line of faith, even leading to us here now in Mackinac, Illinois, here, those of true faith, every believer in all places, in all times, Jesus is praying. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Your Savior Jesus died for you, but that you would be one, would be the, the Lord, would be God answering Jesus' prayer. This is the nature of the unity that we are to have, that we would be joined together in the love with which we have been loved. And like Paul, find a kind of joy in this unity. I want to look at one more thing in this passage. In verses 3 and 4, we take sort of a practical step, finally, toward this love, this unity we are to have. So in verses 3 and 4, I want to look at the key to unity. The key to unity. This is the key that unlocks the passageway from mere appreciation in our hearts, uh, thankfulness in our hearts, uh, for all of the good and gracious gifts we saw in verse 1. It unlocks the passageway to active participation in the joyous reality that is unity for uh, unity and love for one another in Christ. Think about the last time you did a puzzle. Maybe it was over the Christmas break uh, with your family. You take out the 1,000-piece puzzle that you guys never finish. And what's the first thing you do? You find all of the edges. But before you find all the edges, you find all corner pieces, right? what helps you orient the edges and remember how big this thing actually is and how complicated it actually is. And it might discourage you a little bit. You might not finish it again this year, this holiday puzzle. Verses 3 and 4 give us the corner pieces to our love and unity. The truth here in these two verses is the first few steps out of the starting blocks uh, after the starting gun, the first few steps for our pursuit of love. 
Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here in these two verses, Paul shows us the core attitude we are to have as we pursue Christian love. It's the key to unity, and it's there in the middle of verse 3. It's humility. It's humility. You see, friends, when we consider what it means to be one, to be unified in love, whether it's here in Rooted Student Ministry or it's uh, it's the ministry you serve in on Sunday mornings, or it's your friend group, or it's perhaps even with others at the church that are different than you. There's a tendency to get frustrated because in your view of things, the reason we might lack unity, the reason why we might fail to love is, well, the other person's fault. You want me to list these things and order of importance or alphabetically. You see, he doesn't know how to listen in small group, right? She takes too long to answer my text messages back. And so we'll never get together for coffee. He doesn't clean up when it's his turn. We play the blame game when it comes to our love for others. Our minds jump straight to all of the things that other people do or don't do that we think are the keys to solving the problem of the lack of love. But Paul here is giving us the real key to love and to unity. And it's not our perceptiveness or our discernment or our judgment of others. It's our humility before others. If we want to begin the path to love one another, we must first pursue humility. And Paul defines humility in a very practical sense. Right there in verse 3, he says, it's to count others more significant than yourselves. You see, when, I think, when we think of unity, I think we think of lowering or deflating our opinion of ourselves, right? When we think of the word humility, we think of, okay, me down to the ground. Like, I need to be humble. I need to be low. And we wouldn't be wrong. Indeed, that is part of humility. But here, Paul helps us to understand that humility is not just about thinking less of us, although it is, Paul's saying inherently humility is also counting or regarding others as more significant than you. To rightly view yourself and to rightly view others, we must recognize first the unworthiness of each and every one of us. We must be like the tax collector in Luke 18. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then we must see that in Christ, our brother or sister that seems to fail us all the time has value as one made in the image of God and one who is regenerated and redeemed. 
precious in his sight and an asset to the kingdom, a trophy of grace. And so anything that he or she may do or not do should not compromise the love and the estimation you have for them in Christ. Paul gives the sort of opposite or the negative of that in the beginning of verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What, he's, what he means there is, uh, do not be driven by your own self-advancement, your own betterment, or any kind of pride that would put you and your desires first. Uh, I love how Romans 12, 3 says, uh, talks about humility. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What that passage is saying is that you ought to think not more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You ought to think as God has given you salvation and gifts in the church to serve. That's about how highly you ought to think of yourself. And all because of Christ. Friends, in order to begin pursuing Christian love. Uh, instead of living for yourself and for your own good and for your own comfort, uh, you've got to assess yourself rightly before God and before others and pursue a, a path of living wherein you continually become less and less significant and that God and others become more significant. Uh, the way that you think about others and the way that you talk to them and, and about them when they're not there, the way that you listen to them, the way that you care for them and pray for them ought to reflect your rock-solid belief that they are more significant than you. In fact, verse 4 piles on. There ought to be more worth not only how you view the other person compared to how you view yourself, their interests, their needs, their desires become part of your cares and part of your affairs. If your brother or sister in Christ gets a bigger slice of ham than you, in humility, you should not only be okay with it, you should find good and true reasons to believe that they deserve it. Students, as we pursue love for one another and the unity here in Philippians 2, let us think less of ourselves. Let us think less of our own wants or needs. Let us think out of love for others and in obedience to the Lord of how we can count others more significant than ourselves. And that we would consider others' needs and look to serve them. Paul's not done because he gives Jesus as our example in this kind of humility we are to have. Look at Philippians 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, this humility, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by 
taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus, in his obedience to the Father, and in considering our greatest need, our need for a Savior, Jesus humbled himself to win our salvation and give us new life in him, and all at the same time while setting for us the ultimate example for the kind of humility we are to have as we pursue love for one another. We're going to look at that example tonight, the example of Jesus. But for now, as we devote ourselves to obedience to our Father, pursuing love, pursuing this unity that we find in Philippians 2, let us look to our Savior for the love that he has given us on the cross. Let's pray and we'll sing and continue today. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And so, Father, it's been so helpful, uh, I pray, to look at uh, this abundant supply for our obedience of the encouragement in Christ and the sympathy and love that we have in Him, our Savior, and the help of the Spirit that we have. All of the reasons in the Gospel you have given us to not only love you, but to love others because of your love. So Father, help us even today to count one another more significant than ourselves in very practical ways as we play games together and uh, share food together and uh, share in conversation. Father, help us to serve one another's interests and needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Humbling oneself seems so naturally to be a difficult